Monkey to Let Go, the podcast platform of the Phenomenalist, by Leopold Lambert. Today, acting in the central margin, a Palestinian art residency in Jericho, with Karen Katan. Today, my guest is uh, Karim Katan, who's the uh, founder of uh, the El Atlal uh, Residency in Jericho, uh, which we will talk uh, extensively about today. Uh, and uh, he's also a PhD candidate uh, in Paris, in Nanterre. Uh, hello, Karim. Hi. Uh, thank you for talking with me today. Um, maybe uh, to begin the conversation, could you, could you tell us just a tiny bit about uh, what your current uh, dissertation uh, research is about? Um, yes, well, thank you for having me here <laughs> with you. Very well. Um, my, so I'm a PhD candidate in Nanterre in France, and I'm studying um, comparative literature, and I'm specifically studying the image of the desert in post-colonial literature. So mostly a lot of literature from North Africa, from the from England, from the States, and from France. Um, my focus is like deserts around the Mediterranean from s the 60s onwards. I just started. Yeah, <laughs> you have a, a particular hypothesis, maybe? Um, yeah, I, well, not really. I have several different uh, ideas. Basically, I'm also focusing on the desert as um, a feminized space. And um, a thing I noticed is that the desert in the beginning of the century, of the 20th century, is a, a European invention. British people and French people talk about the desert. They write about it. They do scientific works about it. No one else does. Um, and after the, basically in the post-colonial era, uh, the, the ex-colonized people start taking to the desert as a literary object. So this is the thing I'm focusing on. And before the 50s, basically, the desert is where you find the Arab. After the 50s, the desert is all of a sudden the place where you find women and all the bodies that you don't find elsewhere. So this is basically my approach for now. And I'm trying to like figure out how, where this will go. Okay. Well, best of luck with that. Thank you. Uh, and uh, as I as I mentioned earlier, uh, today's this conversation will be mainly about uh, this uh, very ambitious project that you you uh, relatively recently founded uh, mm -hmm. in Jericho in Palestine, um, <laughs> uh, which is El uh, Atlal. So, which means uh, the ruins in uh, in Arabic. I, I will talk about that a little bit later. But maybe before we even. Um, We even dis uh, describe it uh, so, uh, very precisely and its context. Could you tell us a little bit the, the story of this project? Yeah, sure. Um, so, quite simply put, El Atlal is an international artist and writers and researchers residency in Jericho in Palestine. Um, the so we founded. I founded the project a year ago. Uh, the idea came about during in the summer of 2014. So when Gaza was under attack, a friend of mine, a photographer called Rebecca Topakian, was, in, was visiting Palestine and was trying to do a project there. 
But she had come to Palestine not trying to um, do explicitly political work about Palestine. Because of Gaza and because of Palestine itself, eventually like the reality caught up with her. She her her work is very poetic, but it's also completely political. And this was not at all what she had come to do. And as we like drove around Palestine or the places we could go in Palestine during the summer and we thought about all of this, all of her approach to this, the way she came, trying to be uh, groundbreaking and not dealing directly with politics, but then getting caught up caught up with politics as well. The idea of El Atlal kind of just happened. It really happened overnight, uh, this idea of a residency. Um, and like it happened overnight, like we had the idea of the residency, then the name came immediately and the place came immediately. It had to be in Jericho. It couldn't be anywhere else. Uh, so this is like the short version of how the how the idea came about. Um and we chose Jericho for a lot of different reasons, which I think we'll come back to later with the, mm-hmm. the idea of the ruins. Uh, but for now, like one of the most interesting things about Jericho is that it's a, it's a very special city in Palestine insofar as, the thing I always say is that it does not look like Palestine. Uh, Palestine is hilly, it's green, it's olive trees. Um, Jericho is a plateau in the middle of a desert. It's an oasis. This, like it's... Um, it it's like kind of out of an orientalist fever dream, but this is not what Palestine looks at, looks like at all. So this is something we we was which was really important in creating El Atlal. And the other thing is that Jericho is in the end Jericho is a village. It's not a city, and it's in the margins of Palestine, both in terms of economic and cultural production. Uh, the the golden triangle of artistic and cultural production in Palestine is found between. Jerusalem, Ramallah, and Bethlehem, basically. And yet, paradoxically, Jericho's also uh, Jericho's at the border with um, Jordan, and Palestinians have to go to Jordan to be able to fly out of the country. So Jericho's also the gateway to the world for Palestinians. So there's this idea of like fringe and center that is found mixed up within Jericho that was really interesting to us. Um, and the idea that we really wanted Jericho is a beautiful city, and this is also something that's that I think is really important. Is that one of the m- main ideas of El Atlal was to work like basically any other residency would in the world, meaning that people would come, artists or researchers or writers, because the residency itself offers things that are of interest to them, or because locally the city is of interest not necessarily the state around it. Um, so there's this charm with Jericho that is, um, that's, an, that's a very easy thing to say, but Jericho strikes one as timeless. Um, and that's always very interesting because... So I'm from Bethlehem, uh, not from Jericho. So my outlook on Jericho is, is very easily colonial. When I say that Jericho is timeless, it's completely stupid. Jericho is not timeless. It's a city within the world and within history now. But like dealing with the way that a city imposes this kind of images to one is was also very interesting. Uh, so these are these are some of the reasons why Jericho. It's it's funny you mentioned that uh, Jericho is a is a 
is a plateau because it's it's almost an inverted plateau, right? It's like the lowest city on earth, I think. Like it has a very particular topology to it, almost uh, in in uh, with this uh, Jordan, this Jordan Valley uh, mm. that are between the the the, the, the other plateaus of of uh, the the rest of the rest of uh, uh, Palestine uh, of Jordan on the other side of of the river, um, but. I'm I'm actually quite surprised, as you say, as uh, you're a Bethlehem native, native, and uh, but you you just mentioned that Jericho is was an an absolutely um, uh, evident uh, choice for you, um, and uh, I I guess it has to do with uh, with what you're describing in uh, in warning the artists and the researchers and the writers uh, somehow to be. To come to this residency without necessarily being involved with, uh, let's say, the Palestinian struggle, or at least a sort of look at the at the occupation. But um, you've been telling me that uh, a few times, and I've been hearing you saying it in interviews as well. And and somehow I'm wondering if it's not a, a discourse that that actually knows that in the end everybody gets caught back with the reality exactly like you described with your friend, right? It's it's almost but you by saying that allow uh, your guest to be uh, to be caught up with reality without really without really uh, expecting it, isn't it? This is actually. Ex- one of the ideas, just to, to backtrack again about yeah. Jericho, something I forgot is that, um, and, that I, and that I keep saying, is that in Jericho, uh, the occupation is not physically visible. And that's also very important. You, you don't have the separation wall in Jericho. You don't really have checkpoints anymore. Like everything, of course, the occupation is visible. And actually in the Jordan Valley, it's one of the places where the occupation is so naturalized that it doesn't need to be visible anymore. Yet, you can't see it when you come. So, um, so I just wanted to specify this yeah, yeah, yeah. to answer your question. Um, yeah, absolutely. This is the idea, again, is that... Let's just say that, of course, when an artist or a writer or anyone comes and stays a month in Palestine, his work will deal with this. His work will be entirely shaped by Palestine and by the occupation. It can be otherwise. Um, We're not being coy about it. We're just trying to see what happens when you place yourself just outside of these expected types of discourse. Mm -hmm. That's basically it. We know, we can imagine that in the end it will have some sort of political component. But we're just putting ourselves like next to politics, basically. Um, which is not an obvious thing to do in Palestine and which is not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it it can make you sound like you're clueless, for instance. Um, but the idea is just to shake things up and see what happens. Really. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose my question was also had something in mind uh, uh, that was uh, almost implicit, which is a sort of... Uh, when, when, when we hear this discourse in context of Palestine, uh, usually we think of uh, the, sort of the, the few years of politics of uh, Salem Fayyad, for example, as mm-hmm. prime minister, mm-hmm. in a sort of deliberate, uh, manifested indifference to occupation to and mm-hmm. try to 
to uh, and Ramallah is is a perfect place for 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 this. I mean, let's say the the, the, the north side of Ramallah, uh, 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 where the the Palestinian Authority is is based. Um, uh, but so I I am relatively sure that you you probably would like to distantiate yourself from this kind of vision, don't you? Yes, of course. I don't even know if we want to distantiate ourselves from anything because, well, one of my beliefs is that you you, you can't do otherwise. I mean, it's everywhere. Politics are everywhere. Having, I, I could have told you that Al-Atal is an absolutely apolitical project, yet just having it in Palestine is political. Um Again, like there's a, you find in Palestine several sets of ideologies and discourses that and people define themselves as either being within them or outside of them, and we're losing the ability sometimes to just be able to say that we're experimenting and trying to see where that takes us. Again, don't forget that as opposed to what you mentioned, we're not um, we're not placing ourselves within an economic framework. Mm-hmm. Although El Atlal as a as an end project is will actually bring a lot out in terms of tourism and jobs in Jericho. But um, let's just say this is not our this is not our modus operandi. So it's it's kind of tricky. It's like it's. It's a difficult question to answer because I think all the answers are unsatis- unsatisfactory anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'd like to tell you that Palestinians have this problem is that they're not able to forget that they're Palestinians. Because we can't. Because everything contributes to remind us that we're Palestinians. And first and foremost, the occupation. Um, and again, we're just trying to see what would happen if we considered Palestine as... Um, as a space, like any other, despite the reality, um, while inscribing us within this reality. Like, for instance, a lot of people love asking the question of Israelis. Will you accept Israeli artists in El Atlal? Uh, what is your relationship to Israel in general? What is your political stance concerning Israel? Of course, it's a very delicate question as well, but like one of the answers we've been giving is it makes no sense to ask the question. Mm. It makes absolutely no sense. For one thing, of course, we will not um, accept Israeli artists, but actually it's not our fault. It's just that Jericho is in zone A of the of the three zones in Palestine, and Israel forbids its citizens from coming here. And by asking this question, people are begging the question of why would we even want Israelis to come? What sense would it make for us to to just have a stance regarding Israel in this point in time? There's no... We're at the political point where it doesn't even... It would be a totally meaningless and empty gesture to, to answer this question, actually. Um, so just to say that, yeah, the, the political question is very complicated, but I think we remain political in a different way. We're trying to be political in a different way. Whether it works or not is what we'll find out. 
Yeah, it's only the beginning. So yeah. uh, when when will be the first residency? Because you had to you had to postpone the the first one, right? Well, this goes back to politics as well. So we had uh, we were supposed to have a residency in October 2015 that would have been followed by uh, what we call the LFL Art Days, which were basically two days of artistic and cultural events all over Jericho. Um, <coughs> So because of the situation at that point in time, we had to, we chose to postpone. But we also had um, a two Algerian artists who were supposed to come. So uh, the essayist Wasila Tamzali, who is French-Algerian, and uh, a young visual artist called Adel Bentounsi, who basically Wasila created a space in Algiers called Les Ateliers Sauvages. And it was through the Atelier Sauvage that she was bringing Adel as an artist. Adel, of course, is only Algerian. He could not easily get a visa to go to Jericho because the, the borders are Israeli. Um, so we were immediately confronted with this question. What do we do with the Arab artists who don't have a European or American or whatever nationality? Where do they go? Because we can't host them and we can't. Eliminate, eliminate the Arab artists from the go. Uh, so what happened is for a few months, we, as we organized the, the residency in Jericho and the Alatlal Art Days, we were also at the same time organizing a residency for Adel in Amman because he could go to Jordan. And th that's the closest he could get to Jericho, actually, because he could drive to the Dead Sea and actually see Jericho from across the Dead Sea. Mm. So we started thinking about this, about this being a compensation for the Arab artists. And when we had, to, and it was very complicated to organize Adel's residency because we were based in Palestine, and we were very busy organizing the Palestinian events. And as you know, crossing from Palestine to Jordan is not fun. So we we couldn't just cross over every weekend to organize the residency there. And what happened in the end is that we had to postpone the, the Palestinian uh, residency, but we upheld the residency in Amman. So Adil and Wasila came. They stayed, I think they spent, I think we spent two, it was a very short residency. We spent two weeks in Amman, Adil did amazing work, and we did a conference at the Institut Francais in Amman, and we worked with an amazing place called Fada Tatmiyo Sabatash in Amman, which was a residency in Jabal Amman. Um, but again, we were this was a twist in the way reality caught up with us, is that because of the situation in Palestine, we had to cancel Palestine, and yet, ah, cancel Palestine, <laughs> and yet uh, we were able to do the most complicated part of the residency in Amman because it was outside of Palestine. Um, so we're made to deal with this like at every moment. Hmm. Um and so, so the, the, the first one... And sorry, yeah. So the, the next one uh, will be in November. We're going to have a month-long residency. And we should publish the call for participation in, uh, uh, in a few weeks, I think. And we're constituting a jury of, peop of people to choose uh, the artists and the writers and the researchers we're going to have over. Um, Great. Yeah. Um, so before we talk about runes, we're going to talk about uh, buildings that are not yet built, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, specifically the, the the building of the 
of the of the residency. Uh, you working uh, you working with this uh, Palestinian uh, architecture office uh, mm -hmm. designer uh, a pretty unique uh, uh, architecture for the residency. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it and uh, and if uh, how what what will be the conditions for it to be to be built in the future? <coughs> Money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be so blunt. Um, yeah, so we're working with uh, AAU Anastas, this uh, architecture office in Bethlehem. And they have a, um, a research department called SCALES, which focuses in research around uh, stone engineering. So we started discussing with them the idea of building uh, an actual, re like an actual residency in uh, Jericho, and they proposed a a very intriguing uh, building, which is basically based on dunes. So it's basically like stone dunes in a way, um, and so they. They're conducting their research and engineering to be able to actually build the building the way they envision it. And on our side, we're because it's a very ambitious project as well. Beyond the residency, the building itself is ambitious. It's it's extremely costly and it's pretty big. So we're our calendar basically is that we're going to hold several residencies in Jericho in order to have local and international legitimacy and to be able to raise the funds before we can actually uh, move on with the building of the residency. And so I, I assume you've seen the pictures, which are on our website, uh, of the building. I'd say, I think the architects are much, can talk about it better than I can, but uh, I'd say one of the main things is that it should it's an open space. Uh, it's conceived as a, completely open space, practically a forum, in a way, uh, which is very different from a lot of residencies, which are conceived as closed spaces. This one is open um, and mobile. I don't know if you've seen, this might, of course, evolve because this is on long term, but uh, they've um, offered the idea of uh, practically uh, the residents would live in super comfortable caravans within uh, the building. So we're focusing on the idea of openness and of, uh, of the residency being a public space within Jericho. And of course, so we use stone, which is not an obvious material to use in Jericho. Um, so as you may know, in Palestine, stone is one of the most abundant, abundantly found uh, resources. Mm -hmm. So we actually have a law um, asking of people to build. So I, ca I can't remember the percentage right now. But with the very their buildings with a very high percentage of stone, um, in Jericho, on the other hand, the one of one of the traditional ways of building is using mud and not stone. And stone is associated, although you have a lot of beautiful traditional stone houses in Jericho, it's kind of associated with what you were referring to earlier: um, huge development projects that alter and destroy the landscape. This is also one of the ideas. We want to be able to show that stone doesn't need to be the material of these projects. Stone can also be a material that can be used to renew our way of thinking about our buildings and a way of rethinking our own urbanism. 
uh, we have a tendency of dividing things, uh, of having like clear cut categories of what is good and what's bad. And we just want to build bridges between those things. Anyway, so this is also why we're using stone and not mud. Also for all sorts of different reasons, because mud is not um, is not the most efficient uh, material to, to, to use. But uh, we want to look like these... Well, no, we don't want to look like these development projects, but we want to use their materials and see, and see what happens yeah. as well and show what can happen. And uh, this is something that, uh, I mean, as you, as you mentioned, uh, AAU and Estes is particularly interesting to do, right? I mean, they, they built a... <laughs> The Tulkarem uh, uh, courthouse in mm -hmm. uh, in stone, uh, but they also have like a, a sort of little laboratory or something like that. Can you can you can you tell us? I mean, not a laboratory, but a, a sort of experimental project that we're focusing strictly on the engineering uh, of stone. Absolutely, yes. Um, built in Bethlehem, if I a little mobile uh, pavilion. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, mean, this you, is you exactly told me it. About it the other day. <laughs> um, it's uh, so it's a project they did uh, a few years back. I think three or four years ago. Uh, it's called Stone Sourcing Space, and the idea. <coughs> sorry. The idea was to again to show that stone. Uh, that we could use stone to build structurally innovative buildings cheaply. Um, so they were inspired by the manatiers, which are these little, or cussers, uh, these little stone towers you find all over Palestine, which were used to delimitate uh, different territories and which the basically the shepherds used to sleep in. So by... Exploring the, the structure, I think, of the manatees, um, they came up with this stone pavilion called Stone Sourcing. And they were, well, they were, so uh, backtracking again, they were using, the, they were inspired by the manatees, but also they were very interested in the way in Palestine the, uh, people feel they have to build on the lands they own because building things on the lands is one of, the only ways of protecting your land from expropriation mm -hmm. by Israel. Although it's not an efficient way, sometimes it, it does work. So people build, and they build uh, houses that they never finish because they don't have the means to finish them. They build houses that basically you see all over Palestine, like skeletons of buildings. And the proposal of stone sourcing was as well to be uh, kind of like a prototype that people could use to build on their lands and say, okay, this is mine. And uh, so one of the other ideas was to have the pavilion as an open, open air space. Because usually, like in several places in Zone C, uh, the Israeli army will come and destroy whatever you're building unless it has no roof for some reason. Because if it, has, it doesn't have a roof, I assume it doesn't, it's not meant to stay and therefore it's fine. So the, the stone sourcing pavilion has no roof. And at the, uh, it was first built and exhibited on, the, on Nativity Square, in Major, Major Square in uh, Bethlehem, and then moved to a Zone C um, area uh, next to Bethlehem called El Makhrur. And it did actually happen. The Israeli army at some point did actually come to see this pavilion and they wanted to destroy it, but they could not because it had no roof. So they had to leave it there. It was like the, what they were expecting did actually happen. And this is also 
this whole thing that you're interested in yeah um so uh, you you told us you told us that Jericho was an obvious choice for you and you you also told us that uh, the name Elatlar uh, uh, was also an obvious choice which is uh, the rune and um, I mean I had uh, quite a few opportunities to to be able to think of the the rune in the Palestinian context mm-hmm. and what it, what it can mean and how much this entire territory is uh, very much the scene of the production of rune and sometimes in a very uh, deliberate and, and paradoxically very precise manner mm-hmm. uh, to the point that sometimes it's the very absence of rune that uh, is the violent is the violence itself I mean as we see with the with the Palestinian villages that got destroyed uh, from uh, the, the part of historical Palestine that became Israel um, after they were evicted in, uh, and destroyed in, uh, in 1948. Um, but so that's, that's the sort of my, my own reading on Rune and the sort of uh, stories and narratives they're able to convey through, uh, through, what they're, through what they're showing in their, in their very stone and, and the... Uh, not only not only the narrative of what they used to be, but also the narrative of how they got destroyed, which is a, a, an interesting double narrative, and and we know how important uh, this uh, uh, conveying of narratives is uh, in Palestine. But again, this is this is my own uh, my own take on on this uh, on this notion. What mm. what is yours, and why was it an obvious choice for this residency project? <laughs> Um, I think what you say about uh, the violence of the absence of runes is is actually yeah very interesting. Um, at the beginning, the idea so Jericho, as you said earlier, is the lowest city in the world. It is also some argue uh, the oldest uh, city in the world. So Jericho is defined in a way by by its ruins. This was the first approach to the idea. Um, after this, it, it developed because, as you say, the ruins are extremely important Palestine in the landscape itself, but also in the way we relate to our nation. Um, we, whenever we talk about culture in Palestine, we tend to, again, this is a generality, but we do tend to think of culture as heritage. We never, we rarely think of culture as a means for a future. This goes back to the idea of uh, the absence of ruins. We're so, we, we are so forced constantly to prove that we are here at some point. Mm. We're so taken with, with this idea that we have to prove that we are here and we have to prove the legitimacy of our, of our past that we are forced to lose sight of the necessity of um, proving our future, of creating our future. We're turned towards the past, not because we're essentially turned toward the past, but because this is like the basis, the foundation of uh, creating, uh, not even creating, just liberating uh, Palestine. Uh, so we, we want it to be within this framework. I mean, the ruins is not a very positive word. A lot of people told us that branding-wise, it was not a good idea to call your your project the ruins. Um, <coughs> but I think it's yeah very important to deal with this 
And also, just to specify, uh, so th the name of the project is El Atlal. We usually translate it by the ruins, but I think the, the, the idea of the ruins in Arabic is slightly different, because it has uh, a different history uh, than the, the between brackets, uh, European notion of ruins. So Atlal in Arabic, um, it actually means the ruins in the sense of traces. Of what remains of uh, of a camp after the camp has moved on, like the embers of the campfire, uh, the dung of the goat. It's it's very related to uh, life as it still exists. It's not a destroyed building. Um, it's always been like so in pre-Islamic poetry, uh, poems always start by the atlal, by the poet looking at the atlal of the camp where his beloved used to be and where she is not anymore because it has moved on. So as opposed to, let's say, to the European concept of ruin, which is a sick transit, which is um, an illustration of the vanity of the world, the, the atlal is actually a testament to the, to the permanence of life, in a way. And just to, like... Basically, the ruins in European culture were reworked as a positive um, concept with Romanticism. We didn't in, in Arabic history we didn't have this at all because it was already a, a very positive concept uh, at the beginning. It's the concept that gave birth to the poetic vo voice. So there's also this thing where, and it's super interesting to have a word that is understood in so fundamentally different ways by different people. A lot of people also assume that we called it the ruins as um, a homage to Um Kulsum's song, Al-Atlal, which, sure, it is as well, but it's much more than that. Uh, it's m much more than a love song. It's, it's about being, it's basically being about to being able to be in the present as a bridge between the past and the future. Uh, well, what you're describing uh, with the trace made, makes me think of the, the most recent work uh, that Eyal Weizmann has been conducting with mm -hmm. uh, the photograph <laughs> by uh, Faisal Sheikh about the, all those uh, Bedouin villages that have been destroyed in the Negev desert and, and that leaves uh, the, the, tra the traces of uh, uh, not really the buildings because uh, Bedouin, Bedouin buildings uh, in the desert are usually very... Uh, uh, very precariously built, but but the the, the, the trace of inhabitation uh, with uh, the, the, the 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 sheep uh, and uh, and uh, and the other animals uh, uh, mark on the on the on the ground and the very deep mark that Eyal uh, Weissman describes as uh, um, uh, he he talks about the photographic uh, the photographic quality of the earth because the earth mm. is imprint imprinted mm. with what the what the sun do, the sun does not allow anymore to uh, where the sun rays are not allowed anymore mm. to to uh, permeate um, uh, I don't know does, does it resonate like anything uh, um, completely yeah okay great <laughs> I guess that's that that uh, that's where we have both the rune and the desert together um, but so maybe b bouncing on uh, on what you've been um, on what you've been describing as uh, as a way not to look just at uh, 
the past, but uh, also uh, to to make a claim for the future. Uh, to, since I'm working on a map right now that think of um, uh, of what would a post-apartheid Palestine would look like, um, I, it is very obvious for me that Jericho is very much, uh, although not at all geographically the center of this of this territory, is very much the center of a sort of. Uh, uh, I mean, is actually a, a very important node in uh, in the uh, movements of, of peoples and goods that could that uh, such a territory would uh, would see. I, mean, <coughs> I was I was even thinking of uh, uh, the you know in a few decades you could you could have like a very uh, important station train station mm-hmm. there because it's uh, it is uh, it is very much on the on halfway from Haman uh, and Jerusalem and uh, and also in the north south. Uh, in the north-south uh, connections, there's quite a, um, quite a bit to say about it as well. Uh, is that is that something you have in mind as well when you think of Jericho uh, and 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 really making your own imprints there? I like the idea of the train station. Mm-hmm. Actually, it makes me think. So AU Anastas, they send a greeting uh, card every end of the year, and last year their greeting card and the idea of the greeting cards is. Um, like an imagined future Palestine. Mm. Uh, this year they did a Museum of Modern Art in Gaza. Last year it was an airport in Jericho, actually. Um, actually, yeah, Jericho is central in Palestine, again, as you said, because it's a node, it's exactly halfway between Jerusalem and Amman. Uh, it's it's literally on the border. Um, but... And even like w- w- when you look at it today, you, you're starting to have a lot of people, the middle class from Jerusalem is starting to build um, housing in Jericho because it's cheaper than Jerusalem. So a lot of people are starting to go live there. And I think in a few years time, or even less, you'll have people living in Jericho and commuting to Jerusalem. Um, so that's one important thing. Another thing is, it's also central in the in the ideology. Jericho is going to be the laboratory of what we envision as a Palestinian nation or state. When you go to Jericho today, you have so you have an, a huge developmental project uh, at the entrance of Jericho called Gates of Jericho, which is basically I forget how many acres it is, but it's absolutely huge, and it's um. Basically, I think they're building uh, housing and uh, resorts in this place for the again for a type of Palestinian middle class. And on the exact opposite side of the city of Jericho, on the other on, on the in the northern I think entrance of Jericho, you have the Istiklal University, which is the university for um, security. security sciences. Mm-hmm. It's called. The, this is the experiment that's underway today in Jericho. This is what is happening. You have this di- diagonal of uh, development project and security apparatus that's within the city. Why, why is it in Jericho? Why, why wouldn't it be anywhere else? There's uh, the positive side that there's space in Jericho, one of the rare places in Palestine where space actually exists. And the idea that in the end you can 
do that in Jericho. It's it's again like the central margin basically. Um, so yeah, I think it's not only the center uh, as a commercial route, but also the center of whatever we're going to dream of a Palestinian nation. And it's important that we be able to provide alternative readings and alternative dreams of what this Palestinian nation can be within Jericho. And what you're saying is interesting, but it will only happen if we don't destroy Jericho, Mm -hmm. which we're doing, basically. And I say we, I don't mean we, I mean we Palestinians. Um, It's a very fragile place. I mean, it's, it's... the ecosystem of, a, of an oasis so it's super fragile and we're yeah we're just destroying it i don't know what jericho is going to become in a in 10 years time it might be something amazing but it also might be turned completely into a slum and again this is why it's important for us to be here and we're not on the only cultural project that's underway in jericho and i think this is also very interesting because you have at least i'm going to say three or four different cultural projects that started happening in Jericho at roughly the same time. Um, so, among other things, uh, there's a... An, I, I don't remember if it's still underway now, but it will happen. There's an international film festival that is that is being organized uh, in Jericho that might happen. There's all sorts of like things like that that are happening. It's also because Palestinians are becoming aware that it's important to go there and to do, just to do our state there. Um. Well, uh, I think the I, I mean uh, I always like uh, oxymorons, so I think we can we can maybe conclude on this beautiful one you you just created uh, the the central margin, <laughs> uh, and uh, and maybe also um, uh, redirect uh, the interested listeners to. Uh, the text that our common friend Alex Shams wrote uh, for the New Inquiry mm-hmm. about Jericho, which is a, a very, a very good text, <laughs> a, a very good introductory text to the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm left with uh, wishing you again the very best for El Atlal, and uh, and uh, we will obviously relay the, the call for the call for residents uh, that uh, will soon. Uh, be, be published. Uh, thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. Yeah.